This podcast is part of the Midwest Podcast Network. Find out more about our other shows and how to support our network at MidwestPodcastNetwork.com. You are now tuned in to Westworld FM, a podcast about HBO's Westworld. My name is Alex. And my name is still Nick. Today we will be discussing Season 2, Episode 5 of the show, titled Akane no Mai. We will not be discussing the next time on preview at the end of the show, but we will be spoiling everything through Season 2, Episode 5 of the series, so please pause and go catch up if you're not current on the show. You can find more episodes of our podcast on westworld.fm. We're also Westworld FM on Twitter, and you can send feedback to westworldfm at gmail.com to tell us what you think of our show and share your thoughts on HBO's Westworld. Send us corrections, observations, or anything regarding Westworld or our podcast. If you enjoy this show or any other show on the Midwest Podcast Network, please consider heading over to patreon.com slash midwestpodnet. That's M-I-D-W-E-S-T-P-O-D-N-E-T and pledge as little as a dollar a month to help us make our network even better. Special thanks to Jason K., who's pledged at the level of $10 a month. This week, no corrections, no feedback, nothing of the sort, uh, which, you know, is okay. But uh, please. Yay, for 100% accuracy. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't know if it's that or if it's just, you know, <laughs> we didn't make any mistakes worth bothering to write in about. Uh, I'm sure we made a few little boo-boos here yeah. and there. Well, anyway, it doesn't mean we can't correct them later on. But sure. please talk with us at westworldfm at gmail.com or on Twitter. We're there. Yeah, there's no way that you finish an episode of this show and think, I have nothing to <laughs> say about that. There's nothing to add. <laughs> What's the what? line from Inception? There's there's really nothing left to say or something like that? I don't know. Yeah. I can't. I haven't watched it recently enough. Mm. So, But we can get on with the episode recap. Uh, I did want to say Akane no Mai in japanese akane is her name obviously there's some uh somebody on the small questions thread on reddit schooled me a little bit and that aka itself the root of her name means red and the uh her name means like a deep red essentially uh but aka no mai the no is a possessive meaning it's akane's something and mai is dance so it's Akane's Dance is the name of the, the uh, title of the episode. Pretty which cool. Makes sense. But she also gave a dance that ended with a lot of red. True. And so deep red. And so there's it works on many levels, it as does. everything does. As in most Westworld. titles of, of this show do. Yes. But, uh, yeah. Let's get on with it. Uh, we start this episode opening on the two weeks later time frame. We see Bernard bewildered and looking on as hosts that were drowned in the flooded valley get staged in the Mesa. Carl Strand learns from Mr. Costa that roughly one third of the recovered hosts have blank chestnuts in them, like they never had any data written in them ever. Also, the cradle has been completely lost, and the cradle had all of the host backups. So we learned some stuff. Mm-hmm. The cradle holds the backup for all the hosts, and if a third of them that they're recovering are blank, that means that they've completely lost track of that data. They have no way of restarting those hosts, essentially, without finding the data elsewhere, which should be in Abernathy. That's true. Yeah, he's basically a mobile off-site backup, isn't he? Yes. So, 
Um, but no, learning that little bit about the cradle was interesting. The fact that a third of the hosts are empty. Now, do you think that means they were existing hosts that were scrubbed, or do you think they are new hosts that were never given anything? They're just there as like filler. I personally think these are host bodies of existing hosts that had empty chestnuts placed in them. So their regular chestnuts were removed and swapped out. Yes. Yeah. I, I think there's a weird Trojan horsey thing going on here. Oh, definitely. Like they're going to pull all of them in and mm-hmm. they're all going to wake up and kill yep. everybody. I, yeah, it seems it seems a little obvious. Heavily telegraphed <laughs> yeah, at this yeah. point. <laughs> I actually, that was a note that I had from the end of, uh, was it episode two where they were all revealed in the Mesa or was it episode one? Uh, where they were in the lake. Episode one is when they were in the flooded valley. Yeah. Okay. That was the end of it. And For Bernard some reason, says that he killed them all. He killed them all. That was episode one. Okay. For some, I know I had a note in my phone, but I didn't talk about it in the first episode. I meant. I think maybe I meant to talk about it in episode two, but then obviously I wasn't here. Yeah. Um. But I just said it. It reminded me of like, it's in a lot of like cop movies and stuff. The idea of an orgy of evidence, where it's like mm. too much evidence in that it makes it seem like it's not an actual crime scene. It's been staged that way. Interesting. And that's title. That's a term that gets thrown around in a lot of like fiction like that. And as soon as I saw all that, I was like, "No, <laughs> this is not legit. These are not lemmings that just all ran off the cliff and like drowned." And yeah, if we, and I think you and John br- even brought up like uh, you mentioned it at some point. Christopher Nolan said they don't need Jonathan. oxygen. Jonathan Nolan, I'm sorry. Yeah. Chris Nolan just popped his head in. <laughs> they don't need air. And then left. Uh, Jonathan said, yeah, they don't need it. So I was like, they're totally dormant. They're yeah. sitting there waiting for yep. some sort of activation code. Yeah. Yeah. Seems that way anyway. It could be wrong. They're really playing the slow game on this section. We're getting like 120 seconds of screen time from this time frame yeah, per episode. This, this is the story f- thread that I feel like is really going to yank the rug out from under us i feel like there's something where we're being drip fed it so slowly and at the generally at towards the front of the episode yeah that other stuff comes in and and pushes that out of our you forget about it yeah Yeah, exactly and then all of a sudden it's going to come around in just a gnarly way yeah like i think the the days after ford timeline is going to catch up to this at some point probably at the end of episode nine or something and then maybe we'll see the fallout of everything that happens but I think we think we're working our way towards the logical conclusion of how it got there, but it's going to be something really unexpected. Yeah. 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 It seems obvious, which is with this show, anything that seems obvious is likely wrong. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you're looking forward, you're looking in the wrong direction. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but yeah, there was a strange strand does give a very cryptic set of dialogue when we finish, we wrap up that scene. Uh, That's quite a story you gave them. (sighs) One hell of an ending. How did all these disparate threads come together to create this nightmare? If we figure that out, we'll know how the story turns. It seemed extremely on the nose, and it makes me wonder what they're attempting to... Like, is he just simply acting as like an audience surrogate, kind of being like, oh, this is a weird mystery for you all to figure out? Or is it like 
are they trying to tell us something that we don't understand as of yet? Is he just saying that? He's he's kind of looking at Bernard. Okay. And and saying it, I think, is is the like to Bernard slash Ford, basically, kind of just he's just kind of musing aloud. Like. Yeah, well, I think because Bernard is standing there looking at the pyramid of hosts with Teddy at the top of it, because that's amazing, and then also <laughs> <laughs> just shirtless Teddy laying atop the hosts. Um, but he's just looking at Bernard, who's in another room, and says this these lines, and it's it just felt very. Like a little bit off to me. It was a little off putting in, in terms of like it set me off of my balance. It it made me feel as though it felt a little out of place and kind of metatextually aware of Strand to be saying that. It is slightly I don't want to say out of character because Strand is a pretty thin character so far, but he feels like he's more there, he's more business, you know, for him yeah. to start thinking about like the Ah yes, the wonders of the story. It's a little, you know, yeah, a little funky. How did our fiction bring us here? He pulls out a pipe and <laughs> starts musing. Yes, yeah. Uh, it felt like a very uh, wonder, John Moore line for him to say <laughs> in, from the Alien. Oh my God, could you imagine if Luke Evans was on this show? <laughs> if he was Strand, Ugh. I wonder what if. I wonder if Strand is on the level. I wonder if he's actually... That was the other... Th- I, and I'm glad you said human. that. Because he tell, uh Maling is, is the woman who's out on the plateau mm-hmm. overlooking the flood. And she says, we've got two teams looking for Abernathy. And he says, I want you to bring Abernathy to me. Yeah. In the sense of like, don't take him immediately to Charlotte, I think is what that implies. So I don't know exactly what that means if he thinks charlotte is not on the level or if he himself is not on the level Mm, or what that's true yeah so it could go either way at this point but we don't have any reason to think charlotte's not yeah but he i think it's in a lot of these people's nature to not trust anyone else yeah yeah well given the situation they're in everybody's ready to be duplicitous about something uh, so Mailing is the is played by Betty Gabriel. I kind of uh, mentioned you beforehand. Yeah. I didn't know who she was at first, but I've recently started following this uh, film critic journalist on Twitter named April Wolf, and she did like an interview and write up about Betty Gabriel and all the different things she's been in. And she kind of appeared on the scene relatively just a few years ago, and she's been playing all these different roles. But she played. She played Georgina in Get Out. Yeah, and I didn't know that. I didn't make that connection at first, and I was like, "Oh wow!" It's a it's a wildly different character. In, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> completely and unrecognizable. Such a different performance, and uh, and I was, I've encountered some people lately who have accused a lot of the cast of Get Out of oh, really overacting. Okay. And I feel like you may there may be an argument for that, but I don't agree at all. But I think her performance in Get Out is ridiculously awesome. I loved every second of it. It's amazing. Well, and the fact that she's striking enough in the seconds of footage we've seen her in, oh, in the yeah. show for us to like take note of her in the first place really kind of tells you that Absolutely. she's something special. So Yeah, I love actors like that that can just... It, it really goes to show you how, what an unfair profession it is because some people just have this look about them where they can walk onto the screen and you're just like, who's that? Yeah. What what's their deal? Even if they're like a side character with like no lines, and th- those are the those are some of my favorite kinds of actors. Yeah, that just seize your attention right off the bat. For sure. Uh, let's move on. Maven crew are actually in Shogun World, and they get captured by a band of Japanese Ronin. 
Sizemore knows the Westworld malfunction has spread to other parks by the way that the Japanese hosts don't immediately switch to English when they hear him speak it. He also reveals Shogun World was made for those who find Westworld too tame and that all of the hosts have multiple languages coded into them somewhere. Uh, Shogun World is hard mode confirmed. (laughs) (laughs) How... How sweaty did you get when we like really got into Shogun World? Like, just how stoked were you? I was extremely stoked. I want I want to save this conversation after I read through the, okay. the following scene. That's but I did want to to just note a few things here. I thought Sylvester's kind of like, why don't you say something to them? And Felix being like, I'm from Hong Kong, asshole, was yeah, it was funny, fantastic. Um, and the. There's a lot of people on Reddit that are like a little skeptical of Shogun World and have the same questions of like, well, how do the swords work and how do the arrows work like the guns in in Westworld and everything like that. So it's kind of, but I was able to just look past that and I'm kind of like, there's enough hooks in programming and how we know that Westworld works that it doesn't, those types of logic leaps don't bother me anymore. So I don't know if that struck you at all. No, because I think between what you just said and Sizemore says, like it's like, it's hard mode. It's hard. Yeah, yeah. Like I think you go into that park expecting to maybe get maimed a little bit. Like, yeah. It, I'd imagine you sign a phone book's worth of waivers before going into Shogun World. Because we learn it's not that the hosts can't necessarily hurt guests mm-hmm. in season one, but True. they can't kill them, and. We see Teddy defend Ford from the man in black with a knife in one instance. We know that the hosts are programmed to intervene at a moment's notice in yeah. a lot of these cases. It's very true. So I feel like... And and the narratives are probably more strictly structured in Shogun World 2 to keep people from just drawing a sword and cutting your head off. Yes. Like Sizemore's reaction when things start to go off the rails is like so over the top Mm -hmm. and even if something went different in westworld he didn't react as big as this so he seems to think the rules are pretty structured in shogun world yeah he he knows that it's a much more dangerous place to be especially Mm -hmm. with everything malfunctioning yes um sushi world sushi world as we know yeah I think it's interesting that all the hosts have languages, all the languages like embedded in them. That makes a lot of sense and is very cool to oh, yeah, think about. Awesome. Like if a Japanese couple walks into Westworld, then everybody starts speaking Japanese mm-hmm. to them is such a fascinating concept and yeah. very, very awesome. Yeah. Didn't you say she has like a dozen languages? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure. She, she consciously has command of many languages as a madam of a brothel is Mm -hmm. kind of what he says but he also says that all of the hosts have all of it in them somewhere somewhere it just needs to be triggered yes basically but um yeah she's a skeleton key yep uh and then he also mentions that her her vocal commands don't work because she spoke the wrong language as well like they're not tuned into english so when she tries to command them in that it's not necessarily working because they're in japanese mode so all right, the next scene. As the Ronin and their prisoners come into town, everything seems eerily similar. It turns out that Shogun World is almost whole cloth copied from Westworld. We see Hector's robbery of the Mariposa take place in the Shogun World analog to the tune of a Japanese cover of Paint It Black. Armistice and the crew gets the crew freed by helping her Shogun World analog and Maeve. Uh, 
Armistice gets the crew freed by helping her Shogun World analog, and Maeve puts an end to the heist, asking for a diplomatic talk rather than violence. I am simultaneously so disappointed that Shogun World is a complete copy, and also (laughs) extremely impressed and fascinated by the idea. Yeah. Because of the analogs between Japanese filmmaking and Westerns, it's just such a fascinating duality that they've stumbled across and have like called upon in such a weird way yep but i'm also bummed that it's not like this insanely crazy well i mean it's it's not that it's not accurate to japan because it feels like this is what feudal japan would be or like shogun japan would be like but there's part of me that wanted it to feel like this unique and wholly different experience and it's pretty clear that it won't necessarily be that but what what were your thoughts on that i think it may be i don't think it's a complete copy of westworld sizemore says he's like i may have taken i may have borrowed here and there yeah. and i think for certain like i think you could call the incident in sweetwater like a, a like cornerstone incident of westworld because it's right there where you enter it kind of brings you into the world it's a big deal i think taking something like that is logical it makes a lot of it, i mean coming yeah. from sizemore's point of view it makes a lot of sense say hey this works really well there let me transport transport that over here as well i don't think that that means the whole of of shogun world i almost called samurai world um is a complete ripoff i think there's probably a lot more to see there that that's, that, that is unique to that that's world. fair like and, and it, it makes sense that like the legwork of crafting the little bit of violence and um chaos that hector brings into town Mm -hmm. is probably such a finely orchestrated system for them to introduce the people who stuck to sweetwater into something a little riskier and maybe get them to do more it totally makes sense from that standpoint yeah so i guess i just don't we don't know yet how much of a total copy it is maybe there's some awesome Hattori Hanzo sword crafting. I think there's probably somewhere some, some in the awesome park. Stuff. Which, yeah, I mean, it but. makes sense too. From like you said, if you if you're like me, who's not a, a hardcore gamer, uh, if you play a game through and then you want to play it again on hard mode, it's part of what makes hard mode more possible is having some familiarity with some stuff to That's draw true. you in. Yeah. Plus, I think even from like a just a design and artistic perspective. Like you, you make your next works on the building blocks of the stuff you learned making your first work. So yeah. if Westworld was the original park, which it is mm-hmm. as far as we know, yeah. Um, and Sizemore was working on that. If, if then it was time to do this instead, it makes sense to take, Build up. say he took a dozen events from that and put them around Shogun world and then started connecting the tissue or making the connective tissue between them. Plus, it would be a fun thing for somebody who has been to Westworld who then wants to try out Shogun World. to be like, oh, I remember this from... Let, let's see how it works in this world. Yeah. Plus, it works even better, like you said, with the analogy of the you know, American cinema being influenced by Japanese and vice versa. Like, It's yeah. really funny how East and West continually copy each other. It's the Ouroboros the, yeah, snake exactly. its own tail kind of thing going on. I actually just watched... This is really funny timing. Last night, uh, we were watching The Office, and we watched the episode... Um, where they go to are you familiar with like the mid to later seasons of it not much but i i have seen it all they so. go to they go to gabe's apartment for like the the glee watching party and andy is like jealous of him and he like goes into his room to like check it out and it's covered in like japanese stuff mm. it's like 
it's totally that idea of like the <laughs> super nerdy white guy who's obsessed with Japanese stuff, like swords on the wall and the whole yeah. room's in like a red paint scheme. And there's all these like ornate tapestries and stuff. It's really funny. And Daryl comes in. He's like, man, this dude is obsessed with Japan. And he's looking around. And as he's like picking up one of the swords, he goes, I wonder if somewhere there's a Chinese dude staring at a bunch of our stuff. <laughs> and it's the, it's the funniest delivery. And, it, and it's such an interesting question, though, because probably, yeah. you know what I mean? Like yeah. There's someone on the other side of the world who's like, oh, my God, Western culture is the shit. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a bunch of guns. Well, <laughs> and like, you know, American people getting tattoos of, like, Chinese characters. And then when I was in Japan, I always saw a bunch of, like, T-shirts that have a bunch of meaningless English on yes. them. So it's it's totally it I goes love, both ways. God, do I love that? I love that. <laughs> That's one of my favorite things to find on Reddit. Like second only to like the face swap things, yep. which you always find and send me, and they're mm-hmm. amazing. I love when like when people get tattoos too of like a kanji, but it's like not the right one. Yeah, or like it it looks they're like oh this looks so cool, and it just says like butter or something <laughs> like that. Yeah, God, it's so funny. It's it's hilarious how we do that. Like we just fixate on the the surface like trappings of another culture without bothering to dig a little bit deeper it's, and it's actually really understand um what'd you think of the paint of black cover i thought it was pretty you good. know i'm such a dunce because while we were watching it i was like oh paint of black that's cool and i was like that's weird and then I, it took like until it really swung into hector i was like oh that's right they used paint of black they used like a western i like somehow that had left my memory it's pretty impressive how shot for shot it all is i figured it was it's, i didn't i didn't have time to go back but i figured as i was watching it i was like i'll bet this is like remarkably similar like hector but. shooting the guy hector shoots the dude on the on the horse and in this place musashi hits the guy with the uh, i think i think it's the kudagarami or whatever they call it he hits him with it on the horse he gets off finishes the guy off steps over to his armistice analog throws, throws her, to her. The, yeah, yeah and it's all spot on like it's fascinating to watch yeah. it seeing how they reset like the certain characters recycle the lines from the stuff that we've seen it's all incredible it so is very it's, cool it's worth going through that again but um the only other thing sizemore does comment when he's being uh criticized for the the copying of things he says that he wrote 300 stories in three weeks right which, to me, the fact that Sizemore was there when Shogun World began, mm-hmm. what it seems like that's what this implies. So yeah. Shogun World must be kind of recent, relatively at least. Yeah, we don't know how long Sizemore's been there, but if we guess eight years, ten years, it's, like it's, yeah. it's probably open within that timeline, yeah. definitely. And so I, I thought that was kind of interesting, and I don't really understand why he only had three weeks to do it. But I wonder if we'll delve into that. A little I think more. I think that is very like just indicative of corporate culture. Yes, yeah. And there were a lot of really awesome comments on the Reddit discussion for this episode, where somebody was like, they said they were really surprised how Sizemore is just growing on them and and yeah. becoming more and more relatable, and they're like, because. Man, they're like, I, I've been, I've had those kind of deadlines. They're like three hundred <laughs> stories in three weeks. They're like, yeah, I've been there, and all these people were chiming in, like, yeah, I'm, I'm a programmer, and someone's like, I'm a coder, and yeah, I've had to like cram in this many projects. And then even they even reinforced the uh, copying of the storyline. They're like, all yeah. good coders and programmers will copy stuff and use that as your building block, and yep. that kind of stuff. It was really funny. Yeah, absolutely. It was a really funny conversation where everybody was simultaneously like saying, I like size more. And then people simultaneously saying, I hate Dolores now. It was really funny. Yeah. Watching all these these characters trade places. Absolutely. Not trade places, but kind of switch uh, favor. Yeah. 
Uh, all right. The next scene, we see Dolores and Teddy back in Sweetwater for the first time since Ford's death. She wants the train up and running and stripped for speed. They stop for a drink in the Mariposa, and old Clementine gets a look at her replacement performing her part. Um, I don't think there's a whole lot to say here other than watching um, uh, old Clementine kind of react to the fact that she was replaced, and like she can't even speak. Yeah, was really sad and very effectively done. I love um, old Clementine. I think she's so awesome. Absolutely. And so, like, I don't really. I'm still a little miffed at the fact that we don't understand what the lobotomy does to them. It's weird to me that she like is cognizant of what's happening around her, but also can't speak and looks kind of dead compared yeah. to everyone else. It is weird. So I, I kind of hope we get more on that at some point. I feel like she probably wasn't, she didn't go through the normal rehabbing process that they probably all do. Yeah. I think she was rushed out of it. Yeah. And the hosts don't know how to do it. So yeah. she just exists in this like gross limbo. It it makes sense to me, but I think because like I was under the impression that like that lobotomy disables them from being functional ever again. So the fact that she has any kind of function is weird to me and i want that cleared up in some maybe way. maybe it's like just winterizing something like it just is a way to put them into cold storage yeah and not that's damage true damage anything maybe it maybe they like sever their own ability to command themselves but yet other people can still kind of direct and yeah i don't know i don't know it is i would be interested to hear a little more we probably will at some point yeah uh any other thoughts on this scene I don't think there's a whole lot else. We're getting the train. That's yeah. all we need to know. Train's coming. Uh, Maeve and her crew are treated to a geisha performance that gets interrupted by a representative from the Shogunate. He wants t- their best dancer, Sakura, as a gift for the Shogun. Akane, the s- uh, Shogun world analog for Maeve, steps in and kills the man on sight. She requests that Musashi. She requests Musashi the Ronin's help in getting to a place safe from the Shogunate. Sizemore recommends Snow Lake, Sakura's home, because there's an access there's access to the tunnels there, and Maeve offers to help on their quest. Partly because she wants to go along with Sizemore's plan, and partly because Akane and Sakura's relationship reminds her of her own daughter. Uh, seeing Hector and and Maeve and uh, Armistice all react to their analogs is a lot of fun. It's pretty cool. And with Sizemore's dialogue, I think is even better. Like the, he mentions the feedback loops, and then we look over at Armistice and and her analog, just kind of admiring each other. And I thought that was very good. Yeah, I think it's it's Sizemore again is proving to be like a weirdly relatable guy, and he, and he has a good he's a he's the perfect person to be in this place in the story because he's able to kind of explain to them because he even though he is just a writer, he like still has knowledge of how they work. And yeah, he's like. He's not stupid at no. all. Like it's definitely the thing, and he's just kind of saying to Maze, like, imagine what's going through that guy's mind. Like it's gonna be, he's not like you. It's gonna, it's gonna. Be, he might not, you know, be able to reason it out. Yeah, yeah. Him, him being his like the chief. He was the butt of the joke in season one mm-hmm. a lot, and so I think that diminished his role as like the chief narrative officer or whatever he actually is. But. Right. He still seems to be high enough up to really have an understanding of a lot more than 
you would think would be necessary for the dude just writing the stories. Per se. Well, yeah, and another good point that uh, I saw some users make on, on Reddit was that Sizemore uh, is good at his job. He was getting his job done, and they said he may not be... They, they really called to mind the uh, the scene where he reveals uh, the re- adventure on the... We talked about the sci-fi. Yeah, the, the uh, Odyssey on the Red River. Odyssey or on the Red yeah. yeah. And how... In Sizemore's mind is like this shit sells. Like yeah. this is what brings people here. They want to go on adventures. They want to, they want to like sleep with the people here, and they want to kill people that they want to feel like the hero. They exactly. Wanna, yeah. yeah. And Ford, although Ford is obviously a visionary and a genius, he's like bored with it. He's like, Pah, that's not going to be my life's work. But Sizemore is like a good employee because he's he's creating narratives that bring. He's people giving to the, the board what they want. Exactly. He's doing his job, and yeah. he's he's getting three hundred stories done in three weeks. Like yeah. He's clearly like he's he's kind of a model like upper man, middle management sort yeah. of guy, which is just interesting when you when you look at it from like an economic and like nuts and bolts perspective. Sizemore is like pretty awesome because he's not gonna he's easy to control. Just give him like liquor and stuff. He's and he's gonna keep working. Yeah. Like he's he's kind of <laughs> kind of a dream really. It's interesting because it that really like recontextualizes his cockiness in season one. It's mm. kind of like he's meant to be that. Like that is. He's cocky because he's kind of right, and that's what they want. He knows he's important, but yeah. he's like good. He also knows he's good at his job, but he does. It's it's just artistic enough that his his like creative side gets something out of it. But at the same time, he gets booze and women, and like so his his more lecherous side is still fulfilled. Yeah, he's he's becoming a far more interesting character than I than I would have thought. Totally, I I remember one. talking about him in season one, being like, "What are they ever gonna do with yeah. him that we're gonna care yeah. about?" It's good. So I also like that he speaks Japanese. He, yeah. he jumps in, and I was like, "Oh, look at that! Yep. What, what else has he got up his? Now he's got a, he's got a radio. We'll talk about that later. He's got yes, he's got he's got plans. I still don't think he's gonna. It's not gonna end well for him. I don't think he's gonna come out of this a hero. Yeah, but he might. He yeah. might make some kind of sacrifice. I don't know. It doesn't seem likely. But uh, what do I know? So uh, on a scale of one to ten, how much do you like Musashi? Musashi is really awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, he's Kaneda, right from from Sunshine. Uh, yes, yeah, and he was also in, um, he's in The Last Samurai, I can't remember who he is, though. His name is Hiroyuki Sanada, and he's a pretty, he's one of the more prominent Japanese actors on, in Hollywood, at yeah. least. He was in The Wolverine as well, so he's Oh, that's in, right. He's been in a bunch of different things, and he's always fantastic, and, um, uh, it's great to see him here in Westworld in a way where we get to see more of that Japanese culture. Like mm-hmm. he gets to bring some of that we over get to here, see him be awesome. Japanese. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, Musashi's super rad. They're all super rad. They're all, They're all cool. awesome. I care so much more about Shogun world than I do about Westworld. <laughs> That's so funny. I knew you would, but you know, like I, if, if Rockstar made like a game in this oh, era, and don't even stop. You got to stop right now. Cause <laughs> that would be so, I can't, I don't want to live in a world where that doesn't exist. <laughs> See, I love westerns so much that, like, when Red Dead came out, I was like, "Oh, this is so perfect for me." And like, I that for you would probably be that. And the thing is, it's not like there's not a plethora of Japanese games for me to go and play. But I feel like Japanese culture through the lens. I don't know. I guess that means I need to go play the Yakuza games because that's what that is, mm. kind of. Yeah, at least it's not ancient japan isn't it's more modern but yeah isn't sleeping dogs also sleeping dogs is chinese okay but i've also heard it's very good so i've always wanted is to that triads then i think so yeah i think so anyway I mean, yeah the triads are the chinese mafia but i don't know if that's i think that's the back, i think they're the I think subject the of the backdrop. Game. yeah yeah but it's anyway. uh 
it's definitely pretty cool. Like it's cool to be in such a different place. It's funny to call like Westworld feels familiar, not only because it's like English speaking, but because it's, it's obviously based on the American West as, as well geographically, but because we spent the whole season there and it's funny mm-hmm. because it's not, it's not our American West. Like it's, yeah. it's fabricated. And yet like taking those people and putting them here in the Shogun world, it feels like a foreign land, even though Westworld is not a real place either. Yeah. And it like, the thing is, is that it, it as someone who has been in Japan, it feels like Japan. That's awesome, and it's weird. Like it doesn't even the little town. It it feels like a little bit of a town that they made up, but it doesn't. I mean, you know, it's supposed to be like sixteen hundreds ish Japan, and but but the landscapes and the mountain. There's a mountain that looks like Mount Fuji, and you somehow can't see it from Westworld, but it's there. <laughs> and but it, it's it's huge. Like I don't know. It's I, w- I actually meant to talk about that when we were uh, getting exposed to the Raj, but I wondered if at the borders of the parks, there's like sort there's of like a, a, thin... like, a, like a mirror or something or some sort of hologram that looks like continued landscape of where you it's are. It's the skyboxes. They make skyboxes like yes. in video games yep. essentially to kind of extend the immersion. Yes. That, yeah, that could totally be true. That would make a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, but no, Shogun World's awesome. Uh, speaking of Shogun World, Ninja invade the Shogun World Mariposa at night, but Maeve is able to detect their attack just in time somehow. She tries to use her on-the-fly reprogramming with Japanese commands, but gets isolated and choked out by another ninja. As everyone fights, Maeve somehow is able to telepathically communicate with the ninja choking her, and she has him impale himself. The ninja retreat, calling her a witch, but they took Sakura with them. Unfortunately, the Shogun army rolls into town, and Maeve has Musashi, Hector, and Armistice buy them time as the rest of them escape. Um, I gotta say, some of it was the fact that it was nighttime, but I also don't feel like this sequence was particularly well edited. I, it was very I, difficult to I follow. I agree 100%. Yep. And, and, you know, it is dark, but the problems go beyond that. Yes. And so it, I was... It also the, felt drawn out. Yes. Like I kind of was like, okay, we're we know how many, how many more times can you cut back we to Hector? We totally saw where it was going. Yes. We're like, okay, people are going to keep fighting. Maeve is somehow going to reprogram them. And it eventually gets there, but it just... I agree. It was much longer than it needed to be. Um, yeah, I don't think a, a fight between Ninja and Hector and Musashi would have gone on this long. It and it shouldn't have been as... I'm the first person who's going to walk away and be like, dude, that ninja fight was sick and I don't care for it at all. No. Like, it, And that's really, that's a huge bummer. Yeah, especially considering, I mean, it's more understandable because we're really spoiled with like amazing fight choreography on TV now. We're getting better and better stuff yeah. so that if, a, especially in a show with this budget and with this caliber, so when something slips, it like, seems very noticeable. Yeah, yeah. Fight choreography in general in film and TV is getting incredible Mm -hmm. so when it's shot poorly which we are in a post haywire world (laughs) (laughs) is it true or what um when when something is is bad or or just you know poorly executed it really stands out it's an eyesore now especially like considering like i've seen the raid movies in theaters and Mm -hmm. uh after that you can't like you've everyone has to step up their game yep for sure um 
Maeve being able to reprogram telepathically. Did you have any thoughts on that? I I know what I think and I do too, but I can wait to talk about it unless you want to talk about it now. We can talk about it right now because this is kind of the first instance of it. Not only did like it's not only takes effect and like she's able to read her surroundings and know that that shuriken is coming for her, Mm -hmm. but then also she tells the dude to impale himself. I think it's her using the mesh network to reprogram people on the fly instead of speaking. I, I don't I don't know how it lets her detect incoming stuff unless through the mesh network you are able to receive uh rather it's she didn't see the shuriken coming but she knew that this host was aiming and preparing to throw a shuriken at her yeah so she didn't detect it she detected him thinking that uh which is pretty sweet i i agree i think it's the mesh network well we've seen when they open up the like when the first time mave learns that all of her stuff is programmed and we see her responses coming up on the fly like i think the the idea is that she's given herself super user admin rights on the system and can therefore read all of this programming coming in yeah she can she can kind of and it's not that it's programming but these are these are I mean, the the, the hosts sa- are no longer using scripted responses; they're improvising. But she can see the logic tree that they're kind of following yeah. to do that improvisation, and, and their data has to go somewhere. Yeah, like they so they have to be they have to be sending out signals somehow. Yeah, to something like you know, machines don't just do things without some sort of evidence of it. Well, and that's all the stuff that would have allowed a host, like if she was a human. And another human was throwing a shuriken at. Well, I guess that doesn't really work. Uh, but another host would be another able to, host. Yeah. Would, yeah, like another host would be able to intervene because yes. they would be privy to that code. They'd be receiving yeah. that. Yeah. So, I don't know. That's all interesting and very cool. But it sadly was delivered in like a messy fight scene that didn't work super well. Yeah. But I agree. I think it's the mesh network. Okay. Good. Sweet. Um. Yeah, uh, Hector's got a great line. He says, I don't need to speak the language to recognize a puckered asshole when I see one. Mm-hmm. Very good. Yeah, it was good. Um, do you, do you, uh, they survived, right? <laughs> They're somewhere out there. Yeah. <laughs> well, we see them get immediately, like, cap- they get captured. Yes. They don't get killed. Yeah. So we see them get taken into custody. They're, well, they're, they're, at the end of this episode, they're probably, like, right there, uh, yeah. beyond the hill. They're, like, they're, yeah, they're there for them to come and unharness them. The the interesting thing, one of the things that somebody brought up on the quick questions thread was kind of like, why aren't the Shogun world people just killing them on site? It is a good question. And my kind of like conjecture with that is that they know that Maeve and Armistice and Hector are hosts and therefore don't see a need to kill them, especially. But it, And I think the humans are just kind of there because there's this kind of wishy-washy like hosts aren't just indiscriminate indiscriminately killing across the board like rebus collected a bunch of them to go get a bounty that's true so there's kind of some sort of structure in place to not necessarily kill them immediately and then people like dolores come along and just either murder them all or whatever (laughs) so i thought it was fun that the humans were the ones being used as meat shields and the hosts were kind of off to the side and the fact that Musashi and Hector and Armistice are all hosts, they probably wouldn't be killed if the Shogun army captured them, and therefore they were the ones that Maeve kind of chose to go out there and buy time. That makes sense. Yeah. Not that Sylvester would be useful in that kind of situation ever. <laughs> no. Uh, anything else on that scene? 
No, I don't think so. The Shogun army looks pretty awesome when they roll up. I oh, was yeah. like, oh, dang. Yes, absolutely. The armor, All the production yeah. value is absolutely there. It's crazy. So. That's, that's actually one of the things I thought, too, unconsciously in the moment was like, Man, this season two must be more expensive because the co- <laughs> maybe it's just because it's not American attire, but yeah. I, like it just looks so much more costly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's not they couldn't just go and like buy it at a at a uh, value world or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> You're not going to find many samurai armor sets but, matching uh, too. Yeah, it's pretty cool. All right, next up, Dolores tests Teddy, asking how he would have fought off a blue tongue infection that she and her father encountered years ago. Teddy wanted to build uh, build the cow's shelter and wait it out, but Dolores reveals her father burned the infected and used the smoke to keep the flies away. She's unsure Teddy has the guts to do what must be done. Once again, we kind of know where this is going. I don't really feel like there's a whole lot to speak about on these scenes, at least up to here. Yeah, I mean, she. I said it in the first episode of the season, I think, when she and Teddy had their heart-to-heart, and I was like, it's not good. He's not buying it. Well, she's and not. She's I think that he is buying into it because he has to because he's Teddy. But I said nothing about what she said to him this whole season has been genuine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Poor Teddy. I, You know, I, I guess he... No, because he's been there pretty much. Every, it's just funny that he would still be like, come on, run away with me. It's okay. So, like, dude, she's a... She's murdering like anyone that gets in the way. Like you really, like you still love this woman unconditionally. Like that's how much is programming and how much is real. Yeah. At that point, I have to wonder. Yeah. And I mean, how much does he realize is actually like, like he sees all of this killing, but does he really understand that there are humans that cannot be brought back from the dead? Like the hosts can, you know, like what does he really, that's true. What does he really understand there? So I don't know, but um yeah i think that's it for that scene sizemore tries to ply Maeve away from akane to snow lake so they can continue their journey but Maeve wants to stick with her she also tells sizemore that she's not sure how she telepath telepathically dealt with the ninja the crew come across the dallas qa team who are nailed to trees and have bamboo cages on their heads and sizemore requests a pee break and notices a comm unit on one of the guards and he hides it in his pants um yeah, that comm unit. I think personally that's probably how Strand gets introduced here. I don't know why, since as we stated previously, uh Abernathy's not there. Um I think but I think that could quite possibly have something to do with it at least. We'll see if he actually gets to use it in any I was wondering because then at the end of that scene he goes into the like cabin that that the that they're the carriage that they're carrying mm-hmm. along with them. I wonder if like right then he's trying to do something with it or maybe not. yeah. But um, yeah, I don't know. I was so happy that Sylv- Sylvester just looks so pissed that he's being treated as a mule. Essentially, Which is so uncomfortable. Yeah, it's yeah. wonderful. No, it's pretty funny way to to rope them back into it. Yeah. Uh, the bamboo cages on the heads. I saw somebody asking about this. It seemed like it was some form of Japanese torture that was performed. Like you would essentially block off the heads and then do terrible things to their extremities. Yeah, that I also thought of uh, the fact that insects could get in, but you couldn't do anything about uh, it. And yeah. it reminded me of the ants when uh, 
Lawrence is being suspended upside down. Oh, that's good. That's good. That's I didn't think I about that of. at all. Because they may come down from the tree mm-hmm. uh, the same way they came up from the ground there, and you wouldn't be able to swat at it or do anything. Yeah. Hmm. Actually, uh, I hate to invoke this, but isn't that pretty much how they dump all the bees on Nicolas Cage in The Wicker Man? Isn't his head I in believe like so, a, yeah. some sort of cage? Yeah. <laughs> 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 Look up, look up. Maybe uh, the Wicker Man is rooted in up, Japanese torture techniques. Could be. Maybe Westworld uh, is stealing from the Wicker Man. <laughs> John, Jonathan Nolan has also YouTubed Wicker Man <laughs> bees, Nicolas Cage. Yeah. Which I recommend anyone listening to this go do right now. Just, I did want to bring up, a, Just I look up Nicolas Cage freaks out or something <laughs> like that. It's a, it's a <laughs> compilation of all of his freak out moments from his movies, and it's so They're good. all very good. It's fantastic. Um, back to the Lost allegories from last season, I did hear that. The exercise bike and the vinyl were not in the script at all. And it was supposed to be a treadmill. And she wanted those changes. The treadmill didn't fit on the set properly, so they ended up mixing that. But then she brought in the record because it's the spinning record is kind of one of those things of like continuing loop and, you know, but anyway, so. More evidence that they were not influenced by Lost, but somewhere down the chain, they obviously could have been. Potentially. Who knows? Um, I just had another thought about Maeve and her voice, because she keeps calling a new voice. Yeah. Do you think she is somehow tapping into what Ford and Bernard were using to... Uh, see, I'm really... The bicameral mind yes. system? Yes. Do you think... That's that- very interesting. Do you think that because... That's extremely interesting. Like, they would need to upload that, I'd imagine, in a way, as a way to communicate with these hosts. I don't think they could it could just pipe it to them. It probably would have to happen in between at some point to shut them down. Or, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it comes with an update. Well, the only thing, the only thing that pulls me back from that is the fact that Ford kind of states that, like, only some of the hosts have that in them still. And the idea that if Shogun World was actually only made several years ago, way after Arnold died, maybe would they actually have it in there? I maybe don't they don't until Maeve starts using it. Maybe that's why it's like a latent. But to me, it was that like doesn't, a, that doesn't make sense though. For I guess why she's able to receive information as well. Yeah. Hmm. Anyway. Well, and some people were talking about the fact that Ford seems to be able to control the host to a degree that other people cannot mm-hmm. was maybe more evidence for him to be a host um i think if you look more closely at a lot of the scenes where ford's doing that stuff he does stuff with his hands he's not actually oh i'm sure it's like tons of unconscious gestures <clears throat> that like like words trigger words to yeah it's it's probably a mix of those things but like even the one like there's a it's all very subtle and very wonderfully done but because i've watched that video that you sent us yeah. probably a thousand times you see when he goes to freeze the host he just lifts his his finger on his hand and they all freeze mm-hmm. and it's a very it's not it's nowhere near the center of the frame it's just kind of very casually he doesn't draw any attention to it he just lifts his finger and he does it and we see him control the snake with his finger too. Like a lot of that stuff, I think that was a different thing just mm-hmm. for anybody who was kind of wondering that. But if you want to think Ford was a host a long time ago, go ahead. Hmm. We'll see that proven or disproven at some point here, I'm sure. Maybe that Ford 
was a host. Maybe that was, you know, we've had this other theory that the Ford who was shot on the stage was not the real Ford. Maybe, yeah. maybe that was his like LMD that was out there <laughs> that could use, that he gave the permissions to use the mesh network essentially. LMD is life model decoy yes. for those that are not as big of Marvel nerds. But uh, yeah, no, that certainly could be the case. It's bad that I'm rooting for that. Like I want to see Ford return. Yeah. I think he's so magnificent. Uh, I mean, he is really good. <laughs> so and good. I wouldn't be like watching would, watching Anthony Hopkins just put on a clinic in every single episode. It's like I could imagine him walking on the set and be like, I'm gonna show you all what acting <laughs> is really about. <laughs> Roll them. I I that's the thing is that it, it it would be the same thing as finding out that there's a lot of copy stuff from Shogun World to me. It would be simultaneously very disappointing and also extremely it opens a whole new yeah a whole new door yeah working on so many different levels but uh all right we'll move on Maeve poses as a translator for the Chinese Imperial Envoy which is Sizemore somehow to try and get close <laughs> to the Shogun not Felix yeah not Felix with the plan being to freeze the army with vocal commands and steal Sakura away Sizemore notices that the Shogun isn't awake but actually malfunctioning as there's cortical fluid leaking from his ear. Turns out he had the entire army melt their own ears shut so that the quote-unquote witch could not command them. The Shogun realizes who they are, and Akane tries to demand Sakura back from him, but he says he'll give her back if Akane dances with her. Um, yeah, I don't know that there's a whole lot here. The, the Shogun does mention he killed 2,000 men in the Siege of Osaka, which means that this is likely a portrayal of Tokugawa. Tokugawa is interesting in Japanese history because he's the one that decreed that if you are a foreigner, you need to leave or we will kill you when we find you. Mm-hmm. And he closed down Japan for hundreds of years after that, essentially. It wasn't until a later period that they reopened Japan and allowed travelers to come and see their land and open trade and stuff like that. But uh, that's what makes it... It is kind of weird that they don't just kill the white dude or the white people as soon as they walk in or the Mexican guy as soon as they walk in because that's kind of how that would have happened back then. But um, I think if that was the case, then it wouldn't be a narratively satisfying experience to go to Shogun World. still be some programming rattling around in there. And there's got to be people that like... In the sense that they are programmed, it's you can't just have everybody be an enemy. Right. If you're coming there to experience it, you know, but interesting still. Um, there's a lot of flags that have symbols on them uh, in <laughs> present on this like set that they that they are the location that they use here. One of them is like an infinity symbol dragon that looks kind of like the double hexagon. Of course. There's one that kind of looks like the maze, like the man in the center of the maze, but not necessarily. There's a few other ones, but nothing that really is striking anybody as meaningful as of yet. So just kind of interesting, interesting that it's there. Not really sure exactly what it means, but uh, but yeah. Anything else in that scene? I don't think so. I think it's interesting that the he's leaking cortical fluid. I wonder what the what the basis for this is how many hosts does this happen to and why yeah how often does well it seems like it's one of those things that they would get thrown in error and immediately go and fix yeah somehow and so like i wonder what 
maybe it was happening enough, but you got to think that they have enough. Like the shields around those control units probably need to be tough enough so that they don't have to like reprint the control unit every time they mm. come back down, you know. But then again, they can get shot in the head, so I don't know. Like, <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't, I just don't want to see this become like uh, a crutch. Exactly, yeah, for the show to just lean on and be like, oh, this guy's leaking too. Yeah, without establishing why this happens, like if it's for hosts that are really overworked or. Or what? We don't know why this so far. Like, we know why Bernard's happened because he shot himself in the head and then didn't get the shield repaired. Like that's, hmm, I guess that so. was kind of the idea. At least, like Felix patched up the bullet wound, but it didn't fix the the shield around the control unit. Yeah, that makes sense. But for this dude to just be out there and still surviving and not really having it, it seemed a little Deus Ex Machina in the sense of like you know. He's not awake. He's just crazy because yeah. he's malfunctioning. But, you know, so far, they I don't feel like they've necessarily... Like, I, I think it could become a crutch, but I think it's been okay so far. Um, And to touch on an earlier point that I forgot about, Sizemore and Maeve do have a conversation about love versus programming, and I feel like they're really hammering away on that a lot without getting too far with it as of yet i mean they start getting there in this episode but it just kind of felt a little it's feeling a little one note at this point to me like they're stretching it a little thin but we can kind of come back around i don't know if you feel the same way or not but i think that this there's a lot of i don't want to even say retreading but this episode I I liked it, but I feel like this was a this was a good this is a really good episode of TV. This is not a great Westworld episode. Yeah, I totally agree with that. It's it has no mystery to. There's like little things here and there, stuff we've already talked about. But this, I mean, especially coming off of episode four. Yeah. I mean, this feels almost like a different show. Yeah. You know? Totally. It's still great. It's still, well, the fact that they're doing the like every other episode thing doesn't help that. Like it does right. feel like two different shows. Yeah, in that's some true. Ways, but probably by design. Yeah, we'll see. I, again, it feels like sort of similar when we were talking about the alienist. Certain things I I, can't, I don't feel like I can't properly talk about it until the season is yeah. over. Yeah, for sure. That's something we'll definitely have to touch on at the wrap up. Yeah. So. All right. Uh, next scene: Angela arrives in Sweetwater with one of a- the Abernathy extraction team members to inform Dolores that her father was taken to the Mesa. So that's where they'll take the train. She and Teddy find a place to sleep for the night, and they finally, seemingly, make love of their own volition. Um, interesting that it's like the first time that they choose to have sex with each other, that we know of, at least, but it's seemingly the first time, it could be the first time that Teddy and Dolores ever actually had ever, sex. Yeah. yeah. And it finally happens. And then also, James Marsden's butt. <laughs> the teddy butt counter yeah yeah is, teddy butt uh, counter has gone up to one it's up to one <laughs> i saw this i saw this comment on reddit and it made me laugh so hard it was uh i screenshotted it and i sent it to alex which is, which is where this reference is coming from alex isn't just necessary. well because the joke so far has like the season one joke was the teddy death counter because he died mm-hmm. yeah. at least once in most episodes um but then so far in season two, he hasn't really died. We've seen we we've seen him dead floating in the water atop the pile of hosts, but he hasn't actually like died yet. 
So the fact that somebody started the Teddy Buck counter is pretty good. <laughs> and it just literally said Teddy Buck counter colon one. <laughs> but the comments that ensued were what made it so good. I'm mm. trying to pull it up right now and give credit to the user because it was really funny. It got a good laugh out of me. The user who was titled disapproved 1972 <laughs> said Teddy Buck count one. <laughs> and then a reply said it was as perfect as I thought it would be. And then after that, someone said... Oh, there's more now. I was looking for the one I earlier that said, have you ever seen anything so full of splendor? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't dig deep enough for oh, that you didn't? one, but oh. that's so good. Yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> All these comments are so funny. Oh, God. The internet's funny sometimes. Oh, yeah. Especially like on shows like this. It was as perfect as I thought it would be. <laughs> Someone else said, she better break out the paints and put down some of that natural splendor. <laughs> Teddy's splendor deserves to be painted like one of her French girls. Someone else said, so golden. I want to smack it like a drum. <laughs> oh, that's incredible. I literally just came to this thread to see the discussion about his beautiful tuchus. <laughs> yeah, that was a really funny conversation. I mean, the whole the whole thread was like a lot of really funny stuff about the episode, but this one comment just really made me laugh. Just the Teddy Buck count. Yeah. Yeah, very good. This is in the uh, the official Westworld post episode discussion on our Westworld. Yes, this is actually which if you're listening to this and you don't already go to that, uh, beware spoilers and theories, obviously. But yeah. it's a good place immediately after watching an episode to go and like read some quick thoughts about what other people are thinking. Yeah, just kind of. There were a lot of people that really didn't like this episode. Like I could straight see, up hated I could it. see that. Yeah. yeah, I could see that. I get it, but it, you know, and I and it's not like the Dolores and. The Dolores stuff is mostly wearing thin a little bit, but well, it feels I, like I, it's going to come to a head. I feel like we're only going to spend an episode or maybe two in Shogun World, and then we might exit and yeah. head back to Westworld. Yep. But it's been a pretty interesting detour. For sure. Certainly. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 although, well, we have to talk about the end of this episode, so. Yeah, we'll get there. We'll get there. Um, yeah, not much else to say there. So we'll go on to Maeve and Akane find Sakura's back has been mutilated as they get ready for the dance. There's a cherry blossom tree that has been carved into her back, and Sakura means cherry blossom. Woof. Uh, Akane tries to comfort Sakura with the same story that Maeve used in season one to lure in brothel customers. Maeve attempts to wirelessly awaken Akane, but Akane refuses, and Maeve realizes that some things are too precious to lose, even to be free. Um... Important. Very, yes. very important moment. And yeah, like this is, oh, it's hard to talk about this without going into the next ep- the next scene for me. Uh, yeah, I guess I'll wait to bring that up, I guess. But Maeve uh, learning that, I think, is her becoming more of that benevolent host leader that mm-hmm. I thought she maybe is becoming as of this season and didn't see her becoming at all in the right. last season. Yeah. So that's very what interesting to me. Yeah. Um, the echoing of the, the the dialogue from the previous season being used in a new context, I think, is very cool. The, uh, the story that ends with, this is a new world, and in this world you can be whoever you want, I think. Um, you know, we see, we see uh, it's cool because they use that line multiple times in one episode with Maeve because she keeps trying to lure, she's having trouble luring customers in. Mm-hmm. And they try to do some quick fixes to make it happen and it doesn't work. But then finally, as Elsie gets her hands on it, changes things and she's back to normal essentially. But, uh, so that 
particular line gets hammered into our brains a little bit and to see them call it back here in a different context is seems very skillful and interesting and cool it and is cool too and i think for Maeve, she realizes the beauty that like these i think she's taking away from her knowledge of the guest slash like human experience she's kind of understanding that good can come out of them and that their words and their ideas can be used for good because I think she used it in a very specific way to try to lure guests in to have sex basically. And now there's this host comforting another host who is comforting has been, her daughter essentially. Yeah. Who has been tortured. Yeah. And I think Maeve is starting to see what I was talking about a couple episodes ago where I think I was saying that Teddy would be able to see the goodness in humanity, but Dolores cannot. And yeah. I think Maeve is kind of getting to that point where she's able to see. Which, on the flip side, is kind of, uh, I'm reaching into the next scene here, but Dolores saying that there are some people that aren't good enough or, or that cannot make it. They're part of the herd that need to be burned in order to, Yes. like, maybe that quote-unquote weakness for humanity is something that Dolores sees as a detriment and thinks this will not get us this will not win us the world (laughs) you know well and it's interesting that maybe part of this is just comes from the motherhood experience but Dolores seems to view the hosts as livestock like she's yeah pretty much just looking at them as a commodity as as an animal to be herded and corralled and you know, uh, she can view them as something. S- ultimately, there's something simple to her. She yeah. seems to think like she's elevated, and the rest of them aren't or can't be, or that may- that puts her above them. Whereas I think Maeve is starting to feel this sort of unifying compassion for it, for all of for them. life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Especially now that she has truly been like behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Like Dolores might remember it, but she hasn't experienced it freshly yet. Yeah. And Maeve has recently, and she's able to 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 see just how fleeting and precious it can be. Plus Dolores, although Dolores does have the like resurrect ability with her, whereas Maeve doesn't, which is interesting. Well, she kind of, well, she's got Felix with her, but we haven't seen Felix with his tablet. So yeah, I, I don't, I don't think know. Maeve has stumbled onto the idea yet that she could do that. Whereas Dolores is, is exploiting that pretty hard already. And well, and like Armistice and Hector, they got changed around too, so they kind of function past being shot where other hosts do not anyway. She yeah, that's really she hasn't needed to revive anybody necessarily. Um before we move on from Maeve, the fact that she kind of she attempts to awaken uh Akane and mm-hmm. Akane doesn't want that. Like her her kind of it's like a loss of innocence essentially or like the the losing losing the rose colored glasses that you see things through although they're in kind of a horrible situation anyway but like getting re- removing um that that awakening removes the innocence and like it has you thinking of the things of like is this just programmed in me into me or not like the fact that she would be giving all of that context to Akane would ruin the relationship that she has with sakura Mm -hmm. and the fact that Maeve kind of sees that and is like i don't want to disturb that it is cool it makes you wonder how much information is being passed because akane seems to grasp kind of what is going to happen to her yeah and she's like no pass yep 
I also wonder if like on more strong, ultimately, I mean, from a human perspective, I should view them all on like the same playing field because they're all like a, a creation, a machine essentially. But I wonder if some of them that are more strong-willed than others are able to kind of make a decision or at least intervene. Yeah. Or if Akane is just that remarkable and that strong because like the ninja she does it to earlier just accepts it and then goes and kills himself. Well, but I don't think she was necessarily... Um I guess she wasn't sharing information with him. And yeah, she wasn't She wasn't awakening him per se. She was just rewriting his code. Whereas with Akane, it seemed more like it was passing, like she's unlocking permissions and passing, like opening up information for her rather yeah. than just issuing a command. Or saying, I will I will enlighten you. Yeah. And she's like, I, I don't, I don't really want, that. want that. Yeah. yeah. All right. It is crossing over again to this kind of religious territory. Dolores wakes Teddy up to show him something, explaining that she has been questioning her feelings for him and whether or not they were just programming. But this night has shown her that it's real. But she also sees that he's not going to make it in the new world, so she has her crew hold him down and uses the technician she acquired in episode two to reprogram him. Uh, this is a little bit, I kind, I kind of called this, I didn't know it was coming in this form, but the idea that Dolores is shedding her love, like she knows she loves Teddy, but she sees it as a weakness in herself and therefore kind of takes him out of the equation in that sense. Like she's going to knowingly manipulate his personality and who he is to become a tool for her and therefore ignore the programmed love or the, the learned love of him to affect some ends I think is horrifying. <laughs> this is this is dark. Like this is the darkest thing Dolores has done. Yeah. I think. This is I mean aside from like Ford and Arnold, this is the first real outright murder it feels like she's committed. Or um, I mean aside from those guys count too, but I mean if you are overriding Teddy you're killing him yeah and not in a way that he can be brought back necessarily not he, he can't just be like you know ignore all his wounds and come back to life like the other guys did like you're you're deleting teddy yeah delete old teddy <laughs> and uh that's horrible and mm-hmm. really sad mm-hmm. i wish there was another way teddy but where we're about to go it's no place for a man like you i'm so sorry you sure you want this the change is this extreme Without a full reset, it's... I can't guarantee that he'll hold together. To grow, we all need to suffer. So we can see insane Teddy. It's very sad because Teddy's great, but also, like, this is what pushes her into, like, full supervillain status. Yeah, for sure. It's pretty pretty evil. It's like the... (laughs) It's like a Sith killing their master kind of situation. Not... Not that they're like master and apprentice, but like the idea that you. Yeah, I mean it's 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 the it's the soul stone, yeah. <laughs> basically. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's pretty horrible. It's it's also horrifying because if she wanted to, if she thought her love for Teddy was a weakness, you could cast him out. You could say like, you have to just ride east and leave, otherwise I'll have to kill you. But I guess maybe she thinks that he'll just say, "I'm not going to leave, Dolores. You're going to have to just do it." But well, that... she's she's taking any sort of say he has in the matter out of his hands, which is what's really gross. She's like, I'm in love with your personality, so I'm deleting it so I can still use you as a tool. Because your gun-wielding skills are awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's gross. It's really, really, really foul. Yeah. And uh, 
It's uh, it's it's a bummer. I feel like this is the end this of is. this is the end of te- Teddy as we've known him. We're gonna see like some crazy dialed up to ten murder machine Teddy. <laughs> we might have some fun watching I'm, James. I'm James ready Mars for that. Yeah, yeah exactly. it, it might be fun, but it's <laughs> it's really sad because all Teddy has done is die, and all he wants is just to be with Dolores, and he mm-hmm. finally gets it, and then she just kills him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when she walks into the store, she picks up the can on her own, mm. which is an interesting little detail. The idea that I don't need you, Teddy, because I'm going to pick up my own can. Oh, poor Teddy. Yeah, poor Teddy. It's rough. Uh, all right. And then the final scene here, Akane and Sakura take the stage to perform for the Shogun, but the Shogun kills Sakura to spite Akane. Akane performs her dance anyway to a Japanese instrumentation arrangement of Cream by Wu-Tang Clan. And then ends her dance by opening the Shogun's, Shogun's head like a tin can. The Shogun's army readies to kill Akane and Maeve, but Maeve wirelessly reprograms them to attack each other. And one of the Shogun army men hit a gong, hits a gong to call reinforcements, and Maeve readies herself for the attack, saying she's found a new voice, and now we use it. Yeah, I don't know. The pretty nuts the death of the shogun was extremely gruesome <laughs> yeah that was pretty wild we've uh i still don't know it exactly what like but she like stabbed him in his neck and then like went for his like cheek she like sawed through i think she stabbed like one cheek and then like sawed all the, all way, the way around, around his head yeah, yeah. <laughs> i was like well, that's a real sharp knife yeah or she's <laughs> real strong or a bit of both <laughs> yeah it was uh it was pretty pretty cool i like the way it was shot because it was like in the background sort of like as he like stands up and it just kind of like the the trope in movies of like a character getting sliced and then getting up and being like guys what happened and then their face sliding off is like it's so bad it happens way too much in movies the fact that it ever happened once is a problem and it continued to happen in movies for a long time well this this was cool it's a it's very much a a japanese influence anime-ish type thing the idea like you slice through someone with a sword and they don't realize it slash fall the pieces until after they've like started to move or something right. like that is very much it was neat rooted in that but yeah yeah it was it was fun and plus the fact that he's a robot like he could actually do that oh probably. yeah for yeah. sure yeah <laughs> i'm not saying it's i'm no. not saying in this show this is unrealistic unrealistic uh the ice yeah. pack has been broken <laughs> fun police get in here Somebody mentioned on Reddit, and I unfortunately, because I haven't watched nearly enough Kurosawa or any Japanese filmmaker, said the moment where Maeve says, Akane, you are a true mother, and Maeve says, Arigato, Maeve, is something very rooted in Japanese cinema as well. Hmm. The idea of like having that... I don't know if it's mercy or realization or the idea that like someone is a true form of what they want to be or say they are, I think is something that comes through, especially in the scenes of like them about to be killed or assassinated or martyred for something they believe in. It's like paying someone the ultimate compliment. Yes. Yeah. So uh, I thought that was very interesting. You're a wizard, Harry. Yes, exactly. That's pretty cool. And then Haggard got murdered. (laughs) Not really. Um, Yeah, I didn't know it was a Wu-Tang song. I knew it it had to be something at this point, but I was like, I can't place it. Yeah, I don't don't listen to much. I don't know if that strikes anybody as as off base, but I don't listen to a whole lot of (laughs) Wu-Tang in my life. 
But uh, I did go back and listen to the actual song. I was like, oh, yeah, absolutely. That's it's cool. Totally so you, if you knew it, you would know it. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Any other thoughts on that final scene? The Shogun World scenes seemed to go on forever sometimes. They were very long. Like there was a moment where I needed to stop watching like probably about halfway through. And I was like, when the scene's over and it just kept going <laughs> and I was like, okay, this scene has been going on for like 12 minutes, but this one was also long, but it was really cool. I liked the, the actual dance was really interesting. I like the way that I'm sure this is how the actual style of, of like geisha dancing or whatever happened. Uh, but like the way her movements were timed so well with like the, the, crescendos and yeah. like sudden stops of the instruments was really awesome and i was i actually found myself going man how did they shoot this did the actress actually do it in time with them or did they just overdub the music after i was really intrigued but the uh all the dancing was really cool and the actual murder was so uh, again it was so telling i was like okay we know what she's gonna do she's gonna pull <laughs> some shit out of her hair and kill him yeah the uh, fact that she's able to walk up to him is like a right leap anyway but yeah you know but the ending is pretty cool. I feel like Maeve is going to, uh, besides know how to be awesome with a sword, uh, see, she doesn't really have any interest in having an army. That's the problem. As a viewer, I'm telling her in the back of my mind, like, dude, get an army. You're going to need yeah. an army. And what better than an army of, like, badasses with swords and armor, like, that will shrug off bullets and just come in close and just murder some reprogrammed cowboys. But... Uh, like that's what I want her to do. She's like, I, I have this newfound voice. I say we use it, and I feel like she's prepping for violence, or at least that's how it seems. But I think she's probably going to tell them all this to chill. I don't know. Yeah, like I, it, I, I wish, I wish Maeve was. I know how practical and pragmatic she can be, but I wish she was pragmatic enough to say, "How about instead of making all these guys kill each other, I just tell them to follow me." I think no. I think that I think that certainly makes sense. Like I think she's somebody who would see safety in numbers in this situation and the fact that there's ninja around that she can perceive of at a moment's notice it makes sense for her to start to have a larger group of people around her that can help protect her i think she's a believer in the old like a small team can slip through unnoticed kind of thing like she just wants to get to the homestead just a pack of like four or five people size more dressed like a poor guy with a donkey like her, I get her plan, but it just keeps failing because they keep being stumbled upon. And there are there are too many variables out there now. I feel like she has to run the math and say, listen, we already ran into Ghost Nation and they almost like murdered us. Now we're here and we went through this whole ordeal. Like I need to just bring an army of invincible shoguns with me. Yeah. And, She's and, had too many close calls with everything. Right. I feel like that this needs to this needs to follow a logical conclusion yeah. for me anyway. Plus, I just really want to see the scene of like Dolores on horseback leading a bunch of like ruffians into like Maeve with a whole army of like samurai and ninjas mm. and everyone from Shogun World. Like just just a dragon, why not? <laughs> I just want to see that. Sounds that fantastic. sounds so good. Yeah, I feel like, and I don't know why in my mind it's such a foregone conclusion that these two are going to end up warring with each other, but it feels like it's going to happen. Yeah, and. Might not be till season three. Yeah, or four. I don't. I was gonna say I don't know that it would happen in season two, but it feels like they are being set up as. I think the problem is that they don't know. A, 
they don't know what each other is about right now. Like they mm-hmm. had that moment where they kind of passed each other and she was like, join me. And she's like, no, I'm on my way to go do this and don't get in my way or else. And it was cool that Dolores was like, oh shit. Like I can't step to her. She's, she's on something else. But I, I, th- I don't think that they, they don't, they obviously have no way of knowing how each other feels about just like the, about life in general right Their now. So they have, they don't know that they have a reason to just beef with each other. Maybe that will be what presents itself in that, in the final, like, I don't know, the whole thing, the fact that we have no sense of what Maeve is up to in the two weeks later timeline uh, makes me very curious about that. And I, it would be interesting if by the end of the season we know that they see themselves on other sides of the line. But yeah, it doesn't I think that, come to a head until later on. I think they're both heading in the same direction. They don't yeah. know it. Dolores is going by train and Maeve is going by foot. Yeah. And uh they're I think they're both heading ultimately to kind of the same place. Well, to, to the valley beyond or Yeah, uh, I don't know. Like Maeve Maeve has that endpoint of like getting to the homestead and with Dolores getting the train to go to the mesa like I don't quite see exactly where they'll cross paths again, but they probably will. We'll see. I think so. Anything else? Don't think so. All again, right. that like it was a good episode, but it didn't it didn't feel like a good Westworld episode to me. I I always like leaving Westworld going like what and like having more questions and that sounds cheap. I don't want I don't want it to feel like this show is only good because of the like mystery again, box. Yeah, again, yeah. I hate to compare it to Lost, but. I will never forget the sensation of watching Lost Season 1 on DVD and you'd be like, just watching and yeah. then it just poof, that title would come to Lost out of nowhere and you'd be like, oh, one more and you'd have to watch another one. Yep. Like my brother and I stayed up till like three in the morning watching Lost. <laughs> like all the time. Yeah. Because it would hook you like that and it's e- it is easy to reduce that down to like, oh, it's just a gimmick. But I mean, it's good TV also. If that mystery, because like, Bad TV shows end on cliffhangers. You just laugh and go, okay, who cares? Well, the thing is, is that I feel like each of these episodes, the first four episodes of this season, have blown the world open yes. in so many different ways each time that we get to this episode that is more character development than anything else, that it feels like not much is going on and that's true and which is kind of a shame to say like ah boo more character development but the show has in the past managed to develop the characters further while also providing some really compelling mystery and again expanded the world so we know they're more than capable of it and it wasn't a bad episode no i did like it but i it definitely did not arrest me visually like I, there were moments during this one where i like turned away because i was like doing things at home i was like watching it on my ipad and like carrying it with me from room to room and there were moments where i like looked away entirely yeah. and just was like eh, whatever but like it i'm extremely bummed that our first experience with shogun world wasn't like it it should have been primed to be my favorite episode of the season and i, I that that's not fair because there's so much other amazing, awesome stuff that happened, obviously, in the previous episode and the I think if, before it. But. If it had been the first or last episode of the season, it would have been better. But because we're right in the middle of all these ongoing mysteries and threads, it feels like a giant detour, yeah. which it is. I mean, it's literally like a detour yeah. out of Westworld, 
which is fine but I, I agree with what you're saying like shogun world almost felt like more of an annoyance and a distraction yeah then like okay i want to get back to west world though mm-hmm. i see what you're saying like if this if the season had opened on it it would have been awesome because it'd be like whoa look at this so different but if it wasn't like it it wasn't a purposeful detour it was a mistake and i think they logically get there but the fact that there is literally no reason for them to be there mm-hmm. beyond this episode. Feels like it hurts hurts things overall. Like the it hurt the flow of the season, in my opinion. But. A little bit, but at least it was. You know, we're we're still. Even if it did hurt the flow, I'm glad we're still somewhat earlier in the season. We have yes. time to like kind of get back on track, and this yeah. one will just be like a bit of a hiccup. Yeah, maybe that's fair. It's not. It's hard to even call it a hiccup. It's though. not it's bad. Good, yeah, yeah, it's not yeah. bad. All right. Once again, you can find more episodes of our podcast on Westworld.fm. We're also on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and Google Play Podcasts. We're also Westworld FM on Twitter, and you can email us at WestworldFM at gmail.com to tell us what you think of our show and share your thoughts on HBO's Westworld so we can read them on our show. Send us corrections, observations, or anything regarding Westworld or our podcast. The Midwest Podcast Network has several other shows about video games, horror movies, and more. Check out all of our podcasts at MidwestPodcastNetwork.com. Our theme music is the song Industrial Cinematic by Kevin McLeod, and it is being used under an Attribution Creative Commons license. And that's it for our episode this week. We are excited for the next episode of Westworld, and we'll have another episode of our podcast out after that. But until then, may you rest and have a deep and dreamless slumber.